1: All right everyone, end of the week, got three games to talk about, a little bit of news
0: uh, as well. Want to remind you before we start, listen to Danny's Real GM Radio with Kevin Pelton. That's always an awesome one. they do this every year, retaking stock of the playoff series early on to see what we've learned. And also if you're in the Bay Area, I'm actually going to be on TV tomorrow, ABC 7 after the Celtics Pacers game, and then I'll be on again Sunday after the Warriors Clippers game four so hopefully you can catch me doing some actual live tv which will be fun I'm gonna be on with uh, Larry Beal and Carrie Keating so let's start with Brooklyn and Philly Philly puts up back-to-back 130 point games for the first time I can't remember the exact step but like the first time in basically forever uh in the playoffs just an outstanding offensive performance and Ben Simmons led the way 31 points 11 to 13 how was he able to do it Mr. Larue?
2: a lot of right-handed shots around the basket i mean that was a really big part of it including a a, a right-handed i would say it was kind of like a skyhook like i think that's probably oh, yeah. the closest description a jumping hook sweeping through the lane but most of it was was coming at the basket from that right side and getting getting a layup or or driving and getting to a layup and seven of eight restricted area three of four paint non-restricted and then he did did take a mid-ranger he took technically three shots 10 feet and beyond he made two of those three just but i think one of those was a layup he took he took off from a long way away so it counts as a 10 foot shot but it was really like a three foot shot or something like that but yeah simmons was great and i i think simmons is a place to start but also how the tenor of this game changed in a couple of different ways because joel and just straight up did not play
0: yeah and maybe i was negligent in not hearing this earlier but it's actually knee tendonitis. we didn't know what precisely the ailment was or at least i didn't and that changes this a little bit in terms of his long-term issues hopefully Hopefully, it's not as bad. You know, there's nothing structural. Tendinitis can turn into tendinosis and really cause problems for you if, if it's not treated and it goes on long enough. But generally, it's something that you can recover from with enough rest, with enough rehab, has to be managed, but not a structural deficiency necessarily with the knee. But it also casts a, a little bit more doubt on the way that Philly managed him early in the season. Absolutely. I mean, he was playing about 33 minutes
2: a game, only, it only missed two of the games in the first half of their season and when you consider how judicious Philly had been with Embiid earlier on it was surprising to to push him that hard and it didn't Seem like there was any direct, like insane incentive in the first half of a season to say, Oh, we're competing for the first seed, every single win counts, or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, that stuff does really matter. And it led to a few just really interesting decisions for Brett Brown, also for Kenny Atkinson, in terms of how they were going to run their center rotation. And I thought it started with a mistake by Brett Brown. He went with Greg Monroe in the starting five, probably to keep some of the balance of the team. But Greg, Greg Monroe was... Other than an, as an offensive rebounder, and he did have six offensive boards in this game. I thought he was a, a pretty clear negative out there. He was not as nearly as impactful at the rim, and you know his, his shot is is inconsistent. So instead of having the advantage at the very beginning of the game, like Philly had in in most of it, Brooklyn actually came out pretty strong. But then Philly still was able to get a, to a 32-24 advantage at the end of the first.
0: Yeah, and uh, Monroe, to his credit, was on the floor during the decisive moment of the game at the start of the third and it was of course that start of the third quarter where the nets did not change their starting lineup i believed that they would they didn't they really struggled with d'angelo russell getting denied by ben simmons at the start of the third last game russell certainly was very active shooting the ball another game with precisely as many points as shots and, and also had three turnovers so not an efficient night for him i thought simmons did a great job of hounding him and the start of that third quarter though was just so rough for the Nets. J.J. Redick was outstanding in that quarter. He really has destroyed Joe Harris, at least in this game. Harris has struggled so far in the series, shot 47% from three, was 0 for 4 with zero points and negative 27. uh, Team worst in this loss, Harris, it's really more of a small forward type of body type. He doesn't have quite the agility to get through screens on Redick the way Dinwiddie and Lavert do. I think those guys did a little better job on him although reddick was scoring on everyone interesting night for reddick five of nine from three and two of eight from two also got seven of nine from the foul line so 26 points for him his first real big game of the series and the three-point line obviously was another huge advantage for philly in this which you did not expect I mean, brooklyn will not win games in the series if they get outscored from the three-point line tobias harris we'll talk more about him with six to six and brooklyn was eight out of 39 and some of those looks were pretty good they have some pretty good shooters on this team not amazing ones at some of the positions but they'll get threes up and i mean 21 but it, would you say danny that was this game just as simple as philly shooting 41 percent from three and brooklyn shooting 21 percent from three or is there a lot more to it as far as problems that brooklyn has there's more
2: to it and i think some of that relates to bobon i thought that bobon had another strong game 14 points eight rebounds four of those offensive four of them defensive he did have a couple of turnovers but Brooklyn you know they while they were more comfortable since game one they've been more comfortable driving on Boban they don't really have a counter for him I mean there, were, there was a couple of just crazy moments during this game there was that one like turnaround like sort of jump shot because Boban just had the ball in his right hand and just threw it in and then there were a couple of rebounds that he had some over Jared Allen some over Jared Dudley and a few other guys where he's just too big for them and Boban did foul out of this game in 18 minutes I still you know so it's hard to say oh they should have played him more though it did feel like they they should have in the in the early portion though I mean he fouled out it's hard to hard to go too hard on that but you're right though I I think the way that I would describe the the three-point balance is Philly doesn't need it to win but Brooklyn pretty much does and so if they're not hitting those shots if D'Angelo Russell is two for nine Damari Carroll two for six Joe Harris zero for four that's hard to overcome and they, the only guy who had a, a strong shooting night and it got it dissipated a little bit by the end was Karis Levert who had this completely ridiculous
0: second quarter yeah he was awesome there got to three straight floaters to start the quarter uh, against Monroe's pick and roll defense then he had a couple of threes they called timeout adjusted to some degree by bringing more help in from the opposite wing on those pick and rolls and that was a little bit better but you know you'll you'll take shots from floater range ultimately shot just freeze for line jumpers if you're Philly because you know they're putting up a buck 30 every night now on offense right and it's really hard to match that if you're not hitting the three-pointer, and the Nets were not. Philly's strategy with Monroe, with Boban, those guys played, I think one of those two guys played basically the entire like first 40 minutes of the game. So they're going to let the big hang back and pick and roll, and they're letting guys get threes, from the top of the key and pick and roll or if they came off a screen and could get open and brooklyn just didn't make those and so if they're not making those if that's what philly is is giving up brooklyn was not as able to get to the rim either Um, One thing I really question Atkinson for not going back to, Jared Dudley was healthy in this game. And why they didn't go back to those units with him at center and also without Hollis Jefferson. Like they went with him and Hollis Jefferson together. But Hollis Jefferson is basically a center on offense. And so you don't get the spacing. We didn't see a chance for Brooklyn to just torch guys in isolation and blow to the rim the way they did, especially in that second quarter of game one with Dudley healthy. I thought they really missed that lineup in game two and they had the same personnel. To me, if Joel Embiid is out, why wouldn't you go to that lineup even more? And that lets you get more ball handlers on the floor. You can attack mismatches like Redick. I don't think they hunted Redick in a mismatch the entire game tonight. Like, I mean, they did a lot of stuff in game one that was successful that they just didn't go back to. And yeah, Philly is tougher to take advantage of because James Ennis was playing. Now I can't overstate how big of a difference it's made to just have him some sort of semi-competence on both ends on the wing available but there's so many things that they did in game one that they just didn't do these last two games whatsoever and they're getting lit up anyway so so i don't know why you feel like you have to have a traditional big on the floor now the fact that ed davis to me clearly seems like his ankle isn't right after that sprain in game one he hasn't been able to have the same impact i think they've missed him a lot too you know he was out there when they made some of their runs in in game one but yeah i mean i i just i don't really understand why they aren't doing some of these things that worked in game one they just didn't go to it it's weird also, they're getting beat too yeah right? like I mean yeah. it's not like it's not like oh man we're doing so well here we'll just stick with the conventional strategy like you might as well go for something else man
2: well and that ties in with my other criticism of Atkinson's system which was Karis Levert was absolutely fantastic in that second quarter I want to give the actual stats because it was pretty impressive he, he played 735 he was he was in and then they pulled him and then he came back for the very end of the quarter you I know mean, normal rest I'm not going to go crazy about that 19 points 8 of 10 from the field 3 of 4 from 3 and was their most consistent offensive player I mean he was just just getting his shot really impressively and so you have this first half Levert really keeps them from disaster I mean if he, if he doesn't have that beginning stretch of the second quarter th- the Nets are behind by even more and then the third quarter he's not out there at the outset you know they went with the starting five again but then Levert didn't get in until I think it was about s- like six seven minutes into the quarter and by that point Philly had already built up this really strong lead and I understand, you know, I've criticized various coaches over the years for re- overly relying on the hot hand. But the problem with this is that this isn't the hot hand. Karis LeVert is just a better option than a lot of the guys they have in the starting lineup. And when you are getting beat, you want to have your best players out there on the floor.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, kurex I wouldn't say he had a bad game, but he didn't do much. And again, like they're not stopping them. They are going to have to outscore this team and they need to get more ball handling on the floor and score better. At the start of halves, the offensive glass also a major problem for the Nets. Again, Philly, I I just commend the fact that they're doing exactly what we said they needed to do after Game One, which is be bigger, be stronger, be tougher ben simmons jimmy butler who's kind of faded in the background a little bit because things have been running a lot better offensively he hasn't needed to take over tobias harris joel in game two Boban in this game like they've just physically dominated this Nets team they had another 42 percent offensive rebounds and The other thing that really killed the Nets in that first half was they turned it over a ton. And we thought this is a good matchup for Brooklyn. Turnovers are one of their Achilles heels. They're in the 20s in terms of turnover rate. Part of the reason why, despite their shooting and their style of play, they're ranked below average offensively. And... This Philly team doesn't force any turnovers at all with their conservative pick-and-roll coverage. Maybe they had, uh, with them beat out, everyone else boosted the energy. Maybe it was Ben Simmons and and his teammates rallying around him after those Jared Dudley comments that he's average in the half court, which I completely agree with, by the way. And whatever it is, the Nets had a lot of turnovers. that Philly got a lot of deflections, and that was a major problem for them as well. Uh, We should talk about Tobias Harris. What? i mean tobias yeah. harris yeah sorry sorry I, I i thank you for keeping me on track <laughs> tobias
2: harris in this game nine of ten on jump shots Two of nine inside the paint, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. But he he, he had some really tough shots, too, in this. A, a lot of clean looks, too. I mean, he was getting those top of the key. There was one play where I went crazy because Brooklyn just forgot about him. Like, he he had basically a walk-up three when Brooklyn wasn't really doing oh, anything yeah. defensively. They,
0: they, they just didn't know who they had. That's what yeah.
2: it was. Yeah, and so uh, Tobias Harris was a huge part of it. We got asked during the NBA cast whether that was due to Joel Embiid being unavailable. I don't think so, at least not mostly. But the ball was in his hands more often and so that led to some of these opportunities but he was also more active off ball had had a good rebounding night as well philly has done a better job than brooklyn of just getting rebounds there was that one that you talked about where james james ennis dove in and got it brooklyn's guards need to do a much better job there and then tobias harris just drilling shots i mean 29 points 11 19 from the field six to six from three and Philly was moving the ball pretty well they they did a lot of damage in transition when they had those opportunities but they were getting pretty good looks in the half court as well largely due to offensive rebounds but they were they were working for everything too
0: yeah I didn't think that Brooklyn's defense was as bad in the first half and then Philly really just lit them up in the second half as Redick got going Harris he hit one three that was crazy where he was just sprinting to the right wing and basically like wasn't even facing the rim you you likened it to a Wayne Ellington type of shot which I agreed with so that that's hopefully something that Harris those type of three-pointers that he could continue to add to his game because he's shooting 40% but he's still not the highest volume guy I'd like to see him get more aggressive from out there as well for Brooklyn Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't able to get as much done Uh, Boban was pretty effective defending the rim in contrast to Monroe Hollis Jefferson had a a weird game he didn't play it all until the second half he was two of seven from the field and he had 14 points because he was 10 out of 13 from the line he got set up by a lot of guys on drives but the the fact that you didn't need to guard him allowed him uh, away from the basket uh, allowed them to clog things up a little bit more i mean Brooklyn's still this is a crazy fast paced game too. 108 pace uh when the league average is a little under 100 so that's uh that is very high but you know maybe if brooklyn hits their threes they're in it i still think they're gonna win one more game in the series i think it'll probably be game four uh, that seems uh, most likely um anything else to add should we talk uh, adjustments briefly I, I guess i was surprised that we didn't see jonah bolton at all which was which was interesting because he actually played when Embiid played with Embiid and he just played in garbage time at the end
2: well and that was actually the most surprising part of it to me was that Bolden played in garbage time if he hadn't I said oh you know he's been dealing with injury issues over the last little while maybe yeah. he just wasn't available but no he played in garbage time and Philly has the talent to go to to go to a, a more switchy system they have personnel that they can make that work and I was surprised they just chose to eschew that potential look like they could have Just had it as an option they went with Greg Monroe and they were able to overcome that I don't think Monroe brought brought that much to the table so yeah. I would he like was this... for
0: a 13 from the field and uh, and he didn't he, rebound all his own misses just some of them yeah yeah he did have six offensive rebounds so I, I thought that was important and I posited that perhaps it was not wanting to abandon that advantage on the glass as part of why but but sure. then I mean the interesting thing was when Bobon fouled out and the game was still in doubt they went with just Mike Scott at center right still Said. so oh, some, if you're sorry. gonna if you think that's your best alignment why not just start Boban at, at that point
2: sure or give a different look with Bolden or, or something else so we, we should also mention Philly has their bugaboos from the free throw line some of that was Joel I mean Joel Embiid is not a bad free throw shooter but in this game Reddick and 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 Boban took a lot of them and those guys missed a combined two free throws out of 17 but then the other guy who was shockingly effective from the free throw line was Ben Simmons he was 11 to 13 from the field but he was 9 of 11 from from the free throw line and Brooklyn by comparison So a a night where Philly and Brooklyn take the same number of free throws and Philly makes more of them it's another thing that Brooklyn can't really stand
0: yeah another thing that Brooklyn can't stand was getting Jared Dudley getting trolled by Ben Simmons after airballing the (laughs) three-pointer which was uh was not particularly close I mean Dudley looked okay to me I still think you know he was still even in 17 minutes you know it looks like he didn't do anything but yet you know the team is still plenty effective when he's out there um, Philly in the end went with Mike Scott at center and that certainly made them more vulnerable defensively they were kind of a hybrid between switching it and playing a conventional pick and roll style with Scott out there but the offense was totally unstoppable we saw Ben Simmons get a lot of rolls to the rim a, a lot of dunks he did like a fake DHO which worked they also had the Ben Simmons attack in transition and then veer off into a DHO with Harris or Reddick, which they got some good looks off of that's something they've been doing since last year so i mean this is what was supposed to happen for philly like i i am glad that their players at the top of the roster were able to dominate this game that's what should happen in this series even with them beat out they have the talent advantage and they're able to get just enough from the support guys Uh, and you know this is easily the best game of benson's playoff career and he should absolutely be dominating i don't think he's he's not going to make as many of those contested sweeping hooks as he did in this game but this is what they should get out of him and brooklyn has no nobody guard him you know i mean jared dudley is their best defender on, on ben simmons
2: i forgot we almost made it through this and i had pulled this stat and i thought it was really interesting a single player led this game both teams combined in both screen assists and deflections do you have any guess on who that is it's ben simmons yep seven screen assists five deflections
0: hey i'm glad that the nba is actually oh i guess that's tracked by hand that one those two aren't they i think so rather yeah the uh yeah rather the, the uh second spectrum's so not available to tomorrow all right before we talk san antonio denver I want to remind you, eh, you may have seen some of these commercials if you're watching the games, actually, that Hulu now has live sports. They're paying some of the league's best players a lot of money to do some crazy stuff. Joel Embiid has changed his nickname from The Process to Joel Hulu has live sports Embiid. Damian Lillard got a tattoo. Does not say whether that tattoo is permanent or not. That says Hulu has live sports. They really want you to know that Hulu has live sports. Giannis is in those commercials too. And you can get over 60 live and on-demand channels, tons of shows and movies, and exclusive originals with Hulu. You get rid of your cable. You make the switch. It's only 45 bucks a month. That's a lot cheaper than cable. And if you think about the original programming you're getting my wife and i actually subscribe to hulu for 11.99 a month which we think is well worth it they get really awesome originals like pen 15 you also get the whole seinfeld catalog as well on hulu which is awesome among many other things of course so you think about it if getting hulu on its own is worth it and then you think about you're getting all this live tv for basically 32 bucks a month above what you're paying for their original programming you can also watch it on the go all your favorite devices pretty awesome deal learn more at hulu.com live tv plan required Restrictions apply. Let's turn to Denver and San Antonio now. We also did most of this game for the NBA cast. And the story here I will not bury the lead this time, Danny. Fear not. Derek White plus 30, 36 points, five assists, five rebounds, three steals, a block, 15 of 21 from the field. He had 26 in the first half. Just a completely preposterous performance by him and yeah he's had he had good games in the first two but denver wasn't guarding him and in the fourth quarter that was part of how they stopped the spurs and san antonio clearly you'd imagine it was a point of emphasis for the coaching staff and for white that if they weren't going to guard white he's going to make them pay whether it was helping off of him kicking it to him and then white attacking off the dribble he had some great cuts when they weren't guarding him on the perimeter he did hit a three although that was late in a late clock situation so he, he did it without really taking the three and it was a good example of how you can take advantage of not being guarded despite not being able to shoot it and i think greg popovich's old school approach of not necessarily taking a ton of threes there are only seven out of 18 again in this game but more traditional methods of attacking a guy not being guarded really worked And then they also put white in pick and roll and, and he was able to really blow by Nikola Jokic with his speed and athleticism, which has really been a revelation this season.
2: White also had a huge defensive game. You brought up the steals, but he was the primary defender early on on Jamal Murray. Murray had an had an awful night. He was 2 for 6 from the field, but he was 1 for 4 early and then just basically didn't shoot that many shots yeah. late. And then Murray had been so shaky early that they started putting White more often on Gary Harris who was having a better night. that Gary Harris wasn't doing particularly well. And it was a-, a spectacular all-around performance by White. Most of his damage was done in the paint, 8 of 9 in the restricted area, then 4 or 5 in the paint non-restricted. Was getting there also that was leading to a lot of his assists and he w- he was just destructive. You know, the, the the, The Nuggets weren't able to... Really counter that, and they it brought up a, a series of different feelings about like some of my concerns about Denver's defensive structure. Now it is it is good to help off of non shooters, but if you can't be reliable rim protectors and you can't really defend against those drives, you got a whole different problem ahead of you. And I think that Denver did have a better defensive season. You know, I, I've talked before about Paul Millsap's value and everything like that. But Nikola Jokic has certain strengths and certain weaknesses. I think are are coming a little bit to the fore in this series, though we. Should should mention that he had another strong offensive game
0: yeah yeah he did with eight of eight of 14 three of six from three seven assists the Spurs uh, did a much better job too of taking away Denver's handoff game that's probably part of why Jokic didn't have as many assists it seemed like what they were doing was sucking in from the weak weak side as guys would try to turn the corner into the lane to the free throw line they came all the way in from the nail and and what's got to be most disheartening for Denver in this game was 15 to 29 from three 52 percent and they they lost they outscored the spurs from the three-point line by 24 points and they still lost and it wasn't close now but they gave some of that back because the free throw line was nine out of 17 and the spurs got a ton of free throws of their own but that is really a, a huge bummer for denver uh denver also lost the possession game really badly this denver a good rebounding team uh they pretty middling 10 offensive boards themselves the spurs especially in the first half they had 37 percent offensive rebounds that's what gave the spurs a, a three-point lead at the half And then also the turnover game again. I mean, Denver does not force turnovers. They don't have one guy in your... I mean, their center... I guess Millsap is pretty good hands too, actually. But their guards don't cause any kind of havoc at all. So six turnovers, the Spurs, a really, really low turnover team. And Denver had 13 turnovers, which isn't atrocious. But that led to the Spurs getting eight more shots than Denver and then they also took 15 more free throws as well so you're basically looking at 16 more possessions of the Spurs getting a shot up than Denver and even when you do shoot 15 to 29 from three it's tough to win when you lose the possession game that badly and I don't necessarily maybe the rebounding but I don't see the turnover battle changing much in favor of Denver as we go forward in this series
2: one other thing that might change but is not necessarily in denver's favor thanks to a 16-0 run to start the second quarter and denver started that quarter eight of nine from the field they stayed in this game and denver's bench outscored and broadly outplayed San Antonio's bench. Some of that was because they needed it. Malik Beasley had 20 on 7-13 from the field, and he played more than Will Barton because Will Barton, again, was not good. Two of six, zero for two from three, and he also like just turned down some threes, which is significant. I mean, whenever you have a guy who needs to take open shots and is not taking them, it's a really big red flag. Barton also turned the ball over three times. But so you think about, sure, of course, that that 16-0 run counts. It, It counts just the same as if it was the starters or anything else. But if Denver starters are getting outscored consistently by San Antonio's, it will be hard for them to win consistently in this series. I don't expect that to necessarily continue. But San Antonio starters played really well.
0: Yeah, it was supposed to be the Spurs bench that had the big advantage in this series, but the the starters I believe have outscored Denver starters in those two wins. And I also thought that Popovich made a really nice adjustment on Paul Millsap in the second half. He had Rudy Gay guard Mason Plumley and had Jakub Protal who. Got out more time in this one and I thought it was pretty good he had him guard Paul Millsap more size Pearl is actually pretty mobile for his size he's not strong enough to deal with Jokic and, and he goes for too many fakes but he did a nice job on Millsap Millsap was just dominating whoever they put on him uh, on isolation particularly Gay he blew past him a couple times again in this game uh, and so Pertle shut that off pretty well also we should mention that as the Spurs pulled ahead DeMar DeRozan had 25 points in the game but 19 in the third quarter and could have made it 20 with a missed free throw he took all eight of his free throw attempts in the third quarter and was hitting the mid-ranger he had a nice dunk as well when Jokic couldn't get over enough quickly and help defense I thought that Jokic not only was he slow in help defense just you know in terms of his physical capability but he's a little slow reacting as well and maybe that was the effect of all those offensive rebounds in the first half but I thought he he had one of the worst defensive games I've seen from him in some time you you also
2: did mention the other exclamation point in DeMar DeRozan's third quarter he attempted a three he attempted a corner three late shot clock and missed it but that was what it did get rim that was one of only two misses that he had in the entire quarter seven for nine from the field five for six from the line 19 of san antonio's 27 points in that quarter where they really held firm and then were able to really kick it into gear in that fourth
0: quarter here's another problem for denver six out of 23 from floater range in this game and only got 18 shots at the rim now denver shoots some of the most shots from floater range. In the NBA, Murray and Jokic are both pretty good guys from that range. Millsap will take some from there too. But clearly, the Spurs were trying to barricade the rim and force them into a lot of floaters, and it really it just didn't work at all. So, anything else to add here, or, or should we talk adjustments a little bit?
2: We can talk adjustments. I think the place to start here is Mike Malone having a tough conversation with his coaching staff about how to use Will Barton. This was the second consecutive, might even been a third consecutive game where he's just not been good, been a negative. Oh yeah,
0: no, it, it is the third.
2: Third consecutive game and that's a big problem because if even though they don't have other options I mean Malik Beasley remember the guy if you're replacing Will Barton presumably that guy is going to defend DeMar DeRozan and you know DeRozan's not going to have 19 point quarters every time but he can use physical advantages when they present themselves but if Barton's not going to take shots if he's going to miss all of his shots it becomes a bigger problem I think Wancho's worth a try I think Beasley's worth a try maybe Torrey Craig though he brings defenders into in the place they had 12 concerned.
0: points on five yeah. seven it was plus 25 now yeah it hit some, some shots that, too some of that was in garbage time right at the end i mean the spurs led it 114 to 94 and then you know took their foot off the gas late as the uh denver got a few points in garbage time um worth noting too just in terms of the game flow it was 89 87 spurs it looked like denver it was getting back into it as they had trailed by 10 or so most of the third early fourth and then the spurs went on a devastating. 25 to seven run and that's uh, what ended the game um and, and again that was white getting to the cup they weren't getting good shots um denver was during that time they missed a few threes but yeah i mean that's it's uh like i said after game two i i felt like the advantage was spurs now denver can win game four and then they're right back in in the, what is in theory a commanding advantage in the series but it really seems like they just don't have many advantages as the series where. Whereas on especially if Derek White is going to play like a superstar then they, they're they on both ends frankly I mean like for if he's going to outplay Murray the way he has for uh 11 of the 12 quarters in this series you know Denver's gonna be in big trouble and there's just many many warning signs many many things that are really going to have to change to me if Denver is going to turn this around you know this is not a case to me of oh they're just getting unlucky here
2: especially because Denver shot 15 to 29 from three in this game so you know one of yeah. the elements of of these series can be oh you know they're, they're not hitting their shots we talked about this with Brooklyn they're not hitting their shots they can do that and defensively they I think Denver can do better but how much better is, is is a little bit of an open question and something that has to be really concerning for the Nuggets is they played the Spurs close for a lot of this you know like remember in game one they had all these chances to tie the game or take the lead that they missed but the reason to me the the series if you were going to say like what is watching all three games if it were not two to one for the Spurs what would be the next most likely outcome for me it would be be three nothing spurs because jamal murray doesn't hit all those crazy shots san antonio absolutely could have won that game i would say that was the one that was the tightest of the three and san antonio now has another home game they have retained home court advantage here and something else that i that was really striking to me about this game and even going back to game one which san antonio won there was this stretch in game one when davis Bertans was hitting shots that was plumley and Jokic out there together and you're sitting there going oh man this this lineup is not really gonna it's gonna cause all these problems for denver they only really have three bigs that they play and trust and then bertans was basically a non-factor in this game he only played a few minutes during the competitive portion of the game and san antonio's other options were doing well i'm not saying pop made a mistake but i just was thinking okay he's gonna be a he'll be a an advantage point maybe a, a little bit of a game breaker in specific moments in the series and then they haven't needed it
0: i thought the one play that typified this game i mean jamal murray you mentioned him two five from three he's got one two point shot in the whole game two assists four turnovers he comes off one of those handoffs finally thinks he's gonna get an open shot at the free throw line and white just flies after him jumps in front of him would have blocked his shot murray has to just throw it away uh because he knew he was about to get his shot blocked i mean that is just it was just awesome defense he was really in murray's head uh, i thought and i think the adjustments start with doing more to get murray going still more of the 5-1 pick and roll like actually make it a called play instead of just the one three that murray got in the second half was jokic getting a screen from him and then murray popping out to the three-point line uh i think just more like regular old high pick and roll might be good I mean, the the spurs to me their bigs aren't that big or or aren't that quick i should say their bigs are pretty big they aren't that quick in pick and roll defense necessarily so with murray having the ball in his hands maybe you can do a better job of actually setting white up or, or maybe you even like let will will barton get a few reps running some pick and roll uh i think you bring him off the bench too with the second unit i mean he played that role for this team for a long time you know he's capable of that and you can get him going by actually letting him attack off the dribble a little bit create some offense instead of we want you to hit open threes and take six shots and you know because he doesn't really he's not really involved in that handoff game it's murray it's harris those are the guys who really fly off those screens that's not as much barton's game and I think all-you-can-eat post-ups from Nikola Jokic, like he, the Spurs either have had to double-team or have gotten eaten up by him in the post when it's Pertle. Aldridge, you know, tire him out. Of, and I think Jokic can score on Aldridge in the post as well. Make these guys double-team. I, I think that's that's huge. And if the three-point shooters are finally going to hit, uh, I think they should start Malik Beasley. Another five of six from three. I mean, he's his reliable three-point shooting. He and Harris have been hitting the three, although Harris did uh, struggle a little bit more tonight with only 12 points but i think he's been solid play harris some more minutes too he only played 33 minutes while monte morris had a good plus minus i think that 25 minutes might be a little much for him just cuz i don't th- he doesn't really put enough pressure on the defense from the three point line and he's also not really a great finisher so well i thought he played well i mean he had 10 points and 7 assists i think the type of player that he is doesn't really stress out san antonio that much um but that's what i would like to see from them you know certainly millsap when you can get him matched up against gay but it doesn't look like they're going to have that matchup much anymore i don't know any, anything else that i'm missing here no I think that's about it um let's see if there's anything more from San Antonio's side
2: I mean you think about that San Antonio won this game and their three primary bench players the guys that played real competitive minutes in this game were a combined four for 15 from the field
0: yeah and uh, Bryn Forbes has had a nice series too 34 minutes for him I mean that's got to be pretty close to a career high in a game where someone wasn't injured I do think Denver could do more to try and attack him defensively so I'm not saying that Denver is sunk in this series but but their defense just hasn't been good enough and i mean to give up a 130 offensive rating to this Spurs team and they're they're a dangerous team but they're not this kind of absolutely explosive like detonation sort of offense against a good defense and maybe denver just is not a good defense you know and there's uh if they're having these kind of problems against the spurs like what would have happened if they went up against the warriors uh, or houston
2: well so that's one thing i want to mention briefly 538's model still has the nuggets as a 61 percent favorite in this series i have i, I think Sam san antonio is the favorite as of now even i mean san Antonio's already won a game in denver and they've been better than the nuggets for me overall in this series it's you know i don't think it's you know san antonio 75 percent or anything like that but I, I would have san antonio as the favorites to win this series right now
0: oh yeah absolutely i mean i had them as the favorites before they won this game but certainly not before the series <laughs> so uh and i mean you know people have been messaging me like oh see greg popovich isn't is isn't an overrated coach and like yeah this would certainly be a data point in his favor i think he's coached a great series so far uh, against you know this is not a high level team that they're going against to be sure but i did not favor them in the series this would be uh, very positive in his ledger it doesn't diminish the other times like 2015 and 2016 when i thought he did get out coached uh but at this point in time I, I think and especially the adjustments in game three i thought they did some really nice stuff to counter what denver did in game two the warriors did some really nice stuff to counter what the la clippers did in the last quarter and a half of game two um i remember kind of being bummed out actually as i was going through uh the press stuff after game two because i knew that ultimately that comeback just wasn't going to mean anything that the clippers weren't going to win the series they just didn't have a way to stop golden state and it would just end up probably being a five gamer and you know a few more million bucks in joe lacob's pocket because there's going to be a home game five for the warriors and they came out and completely destroyed the clippers despite pretty bad foul trouble for steph curry who only played 20 minutes and kd was just an absolute monster with 38 points in just under 30 minutes
2: durant 38 points four of 23 from the field three of 10 from three also got to the line 14 of 23 14 23 sorry uh seven of eight from the line six Seven assists. He did have five turnovers. A few of those were passes that he'd like to have back, but. I thought he had a, a really strong game overall, also had a gorgeous block on Shea. I think that was in the third quarter. That that was impressive. And something that, that was notable, if you want my extended thoughts on, on this game, The Athletic, my player reviews are now not only on the app, they're also on the full site. I, I think they're called report cards. They've been called both over the last two years.
0: Yay! And,
2: yay! And I thought one of the big differences in the early portion of this game was Andrew Bogut as a screener because what happened was Kevin Durant was making hay. On everybody to be sure, but he did a lot of his best work with Shamit on him, with Gallinari on him, instead of it just being Patrick Beverly every time. And you can say, "Oh man, Patrick Beverly, he sh- he's small and all that," but he gets into Durant's body. And I've seen some parallels. Not that Beverly is the same type of guy, or not that Durant is the same as Dirk. With going back even to the to the We Believe Warriors with Stephen Jackson on Dirk, where the smaller guy who just gets gets into into a guy's legs, sometimes it can be hard for him to get momentum. And so Durant was he had a little bit more real estate to work with. He was more. More, more in rhythm and another huge part of the early portion of this game durant picked up two early fouls curse stuck with him and he was important in that first quarter and that really set the table for everything that happened after
0: yeah he was unstoppable, but it did seem like there was a lot less of patrick beverly getting into his like he did hit this one absolutely incredible shot i thought where they threw it to him beverly's like chest to chest to hip and kd just turned over him as beverly is basically chesting him as he's shooting it getting into his legs as he's shooting and he still just drained the shot easily I mean I I, imagining someone doing that and being terrified of coming down on their ankle I don't know how the hell he could make that shot in that situation and turn around but I mean he was catching the ball and making extremely aggressive either turn and shoot immediately or just one hard dribble jump stop rise up over the defense and the Clippers don't have anyone who can challenge his shot when he does that He, he was just making one quick decisive move to create separation before the double team could get there as well i mean he'd been playing quite passively some would say for a while others would say that he was looking to distribute and the warriors overall offensive efficiency had been very good with him in that mode so it was tough to complain too much although uh ethan Strauss's piece uh, on this was interesting where he said yeah they the warriors don't have a play where kevin durant just stands in the corner so indicating that you know maybe they did want him to be more aggressive but he was of course in this game as he usually seems to be when he he gets Some negative media attention, and he he seems to be fueled by that to some degree
2: the Warriors defense did a a very good job overall in this game but also they were helped by the Clippers missing a ton of shots LA went seven of 32 from three Gallinari in particular two of 13 from the field missed all eight of his three-pointers got to the line a few times and then Shamit zero for four the best shooter on the Clippers in this game was Jermichael Green Jermichael Green was three for four from long distance and so yeah I thought the Warriors did a good job contesting but they also benefited from a few guys having off nights partially forced by them but partially just it happens to make her miss league
0: yeah and gallo some of his shots are pretty tough ones uh, on the move uh, from three lou williams negative 13 16 points four of 11 and had a few moments where he and Harold really got it going late in the second quarter uh late in the third quarter but the game was relatively decided i mean you'd say it was decided the the warriors led by 20 at halftime and by over 30 for most of the second half oh, oh uh, do, yeah.
2: do, you might not have seen this part of how perfect it was they were up 31 in the third quarter when Steph when Steph Curry was sitting on the bicycle with his th- with his fourth personal foul it was pretty hilarious it was almost I mean it wasn't identical because the game situations were so different but I did really crack up that that you had all these parallels but the Warriors were playing better and they they didn't let go of the rope the way that they did and I also thought an important part of this game Golden State having a couple of big bench performances Iguodala looked really good in his 22 minutes hit a bunch of threes also had two dunks and then Kavon Looney, the new Mozart of the mid-range, he hit a couple. He looks more confident shooting long twos than at any point in his career. I don't think those are yeah. great shots, and he hit a bunch of stuff around the basket, but it was amusing. It, it, it's a
0: great shot for him. I mean, he's shooting over 50% for mid-range
2: this Yeah, season. he is. And, and Looney also, you know, another 10 points only had one rebound, but I believe the Warriors, they rebounded pretty well when he was on the floor. Sometimes that's that's a, a more important stat than necessarily how many they grab. And then another thing to watch, I, I wrote about this extensively after game two, Quinn Cook was largely marginalized during the competitive portion of this game. He even didn't play that much when Steph Curry was in foul trouble. So in the first three quarters, Quinn Cook only played two minutes and 48 seconds, and Curry, you know, only played like 20 minutes in the whole game. He played 17 in the first three quarters. So they were going with some of these non point guard well, non their point guard lineups they had livingston out there for some of it they had they went to a lot of different things and so what i had talked about previously was that Quinn cook's defense was was awful in game two that was a big part of what led to lou williams going off and numerous other things that the clippers offense was doing and so seeing them go away from away from cook when they didn't really need him i think was a positive and they have they're, they're this is not a deep team the warriors are, are not but they can they can handle that sort of a thing especially i thought mckinney was pretty solid solid overall
0: yeah he's been hitting the three ball he had a lull for a couple of months there but at least the, those open corner threes that he's been able to hit he's uh, add some might on the glass uh, as well i thought the warriors offensive rebounding has been an underrated factor in their success in this series and that's somewhere where the clippers are pretty weak when they put uh harrell in the game he's just not really a very good defensive remaster. a great offensive rebounder but just for whatever reason there's one play where Bogut got an easy tap in and Harold just never moved to go box him out he's just not really a box out guy um oh wait so can I gi- yeah
2: sorry i want to give a quick shout out to zubach for the single most misleading stat line for a starting player i can ever remember he posted 18 and 15 in this game but he had a whopping total of one and one in the first three quarters he just played in garbage time and beasted on the warriors lineups that weren't really doing much and so it's hard to say a guy he played like five minutes in the competitive portion of this game but i just cracked up that a starter puts up 18 and 15 you're like oh yeah that was all a garbage time
0: the refs were a little bit of a story again yeah um although i thought that not some of those calls that people were complaining about were good calls like beverly gets his fourth foul i think but actually no i think it was his third foul guarding kd in the post but he just puts two hands on him in the post like that's a foul you're not allowed to do that uh steph curry guarding the screener Shamit in a pick and roll picks up his third foul again a good call he that's a point of emphasis this year he's grabbing Shamit as the screen comes through so that he can't pop quickly puts his arm right on on upper arm that's a foul too i mean there's you can't just do stuff like that it's and you say oh you know it wasn't impeding anything blah blah like you should know that anytime a referee sees that whether you're actually impeding him or not and if you're not actually impeding him by the way why bother doing it anytime you do that it's going to be a foul you just got to know that uh so
2: well and on top of that yeah. curry's fourth foul generated a vehement response from the bro- from the warriors broadcast which is the one that i had because i was you know watching it kind of tape delayed because of our recording it was a completely correct call i mean curry was going he was looking it was there was trying to do an interior pass to daniel gallinari gallinari was cutting and curry he just got in his way. And it, it wasn't, you know, one of those 50-50 balls, nobody has a, has a right to it. Curry was was impeding his progress. That is a foul. And sure, some people will say, oh, you need to call it both ways or anything like that. If you commit a foul and the ref sees it right there, calling it both ways to me doesn't work as a, uh, particularly effectively as a defense because you still committed a foul. And a lot of times there's a difference in in the character of those fouls versus some of the ones that go uncalled, you know, some of the grabby stuff. Like Curry's, I didn't really have, his first foul. Foul, and there were a few other things that were a little bit soft Durant's first foul was soft too but overall I think this is just players not fully under- calibrating that the league is trying whether or not they continue and succeed to call the playoffs more similarly to the regular season
0: so anything we can look at as changing it in game four here um I, I thought the Warriors brought some other good little adjustments in game three whether it was ATO specifically to set up backdoors against the top line they set one up for Clay. but but he missed a reverse layup. Uh, another thing that they did was they had KD in the post, and then Draymond Green was handling way out top. They got a nice backdoor to Clay off of that. And with KD in the post, the low man, when someone cuts backdoor from the opposite side, it was going to be the guy guarding KD a lot of times, Beverly. And that guy is just looking to get into KD's legs and make him miserable. And so he's not going to help there. So I, I thought they had some nice little moments. They also just got in transition once more. And I mean, the Warriors you know they, they had a buck 25 in game two even though i thought that their offense was the bigger collapse than the defense was because this is a really good clippers team that you know they've struggled to guard lou williams a lot uh but they didn't let off on the accelerator in this one could have put up even more than 132 if the fourth quarter hadn't totally been garbage on they only had 23 points in the fourth quarter um for the clippers I mean, only 18 minutes for beverly i thought doc Taking him out with his fourth personal didn't really make much sense. They were down so much anyway. Why not just leave him out there and hope that KD gets in foul trouble or whatever? Uh,
2: Well, speaking of foul trouble, Durant did get his third technical in this game. He was... It, oh yeah it didn't seem like much it seemed like he and jermichael green were just talking The both guys were smiling and then it was a, it was kind of an amazing moment because they got the double technical and both guys went crazy like they were just sitting there going what are we doing and generally speaking from my from what i recall the league does not rescind those types of technicals but this one might be a possibility depending on i don't know if they're going to get statements from the official and, and those two gentlemen but it it might be and, and it, it could have some significance later run because if Durant has three techs, i mean that's only four away from a from a mandatory suspension
0: well and the interesting thing is that he's like oh yeah i can control myself i won't get any but he clearly didn't think that he was remotely at risk for getting a technical with what he was doing and he got one so he doesn't apparently have the greatest radar when it comes to not getting a tech which uh is a concern so three sevenths of the way to a suspension now perhaps this worries if there's any luck maybe his suspension will come in the west finals and it won't matter anyway because they'll have such a such an advantage. I, I mean I'm starting to get even more excited though for a potential Warriors Houston series with how those teams have looked so far. Wanna get back to the Clippers though, think of what we might see a little bit more of. I actually might consider giving Zubach a little bit more time, especially when at, at the start of the second quarter is probably a time you can get some minutes for him. I think he actually can cut that those units usually are more shooting challenged. I think he can cause some problems around the rim his offensive rebounding uh just his overall size. I mean he's solid player uh, and of the type that might be able to cause a few problems for the Warriors I don't think he's a panacea they got to do more to get Gallo going he's really a bellwether in a lot of ways for this team I mean Lou and Montrez you know they're gonna do what they're gonna do pick and roll both of those guys will get plenty of chances but Gallo I think give him a chance to get some easier matchups maybe try to do him handling the ball run a pick and roll at Curry see if you can get the switch there overpower him get try to get Curry in foul trouble once again uh the I think that's something that that they could look at um other than that though I, I'm not sure what else Doc Rivers has in his bag I mean I think you got to just stick with the top locking that's your only hope I would say let Beverly continue to try and pester KD don't just think that he had one good game and now he's now it's time to give up a, on that strategy just I mean if Patrick Beverly and KD can just exchange offensive and defensive fouls for a long time then you've got an advantage there I think that the overall strategy of just having a lot of fouls be called even if you're putting the Warriors to the line a fair amount they actually part of what I liked about it and the Clippers ended up shooting 34 free throws in this game, ultimately. And the Warriors committed 28 fouls, and the Clippers committed 25, but the Clippers shot 34 free throws, and the Warriors shot 18, which means that many of the fouls the Clippers are committing are off-ball fouls, and I think they need to just keep committing those fouls. Make the referees call every single one of those fouls. Just hold the crap out of them, and you know what? Especially if it's going to be a non-shooting foul, fine. If they call it, and yeah, some of you guys get in foul trouble, but you're a pretty deep team, so eh, I think they... Should should stick with some of the strategies that they've been doing probably not gonna work but i think their plan actually has been pretty decent to be honest anything else that, that popped out to you uh, on this game or, or what to look for in game four
2: i'd still like to see a little bit more garrett temple i thought that he can he can bring a little bit of size on curry a different look and i agree with you on the on the gallow point that's something i would like to see as well uh-
0: Oh, sorry i'm just warming up for uh for the news section here um we can start with reporting from Woj and john cavoni this is actually last week but it, it slipped past me for a moment there's now a renewed emphasis on getting 2022 agreed on as the first draft that high schoolers will be available the impetus number one is that teams are going to want to be able to trade 2022 first round picks coming up on this draft and know what they're trading number two is that there's supposed to be more of a chance for nba scouts to get into high school gyms starting Right away, so they can actually start scouting guys who are going to be in that 2022 draft. I mean, these are 14, 15 year olds who are going to be in that draft at this point if it is a, a draft that includes high schoolers. But it doesn't seem like any progress has been made in terms of the actual negotiations. You'll recall that the league wants to require medical reports be available to all of the teams and that appearances be required at the combine, maybe just drills, not necessarily competitive five on five interviews, all. All that kind of stuff, and my question is: Well, so what is the league giving up? They basically just want the players' union to make a concession. Now, Michelle Roberts has said, "Hey, we're we don't think that you should be prohibited from making a living; it should be open to high schoolers." But the players' association doesn't really gain anything. It's it's a principle, but their members. I mean, it's actually going to be a negative for their members that some guys lose jobs to high schoolers in theory. So, the league wanting the union to make concessions, which the agents are really pushing back on, because they want to have. Some kind of mechanism to steer guys to uh, away from potentially toxic situations. So uh, the league, much like in the smoothing situation, which and I think this is even more clear cut in favor of the union not caving. Like the league isn't offering anything; they're demanding concessions for something that the union is kind of like, "Can't." Hey, I mean, I guess we'd like this, but we're not going to give up anything we actually really care about here. So my hope is, and the league is also painting itself into a position because they've already said, "Hey, we really want to do this too." So if they really want to do it, why are they forcing concessions from the players union for something that they want to do it really seems like the league has just overestimated its leverage in this situation
2: i hope we get a resolution and it feels to me like the the union's concept of this is more fair like using using this to try to extract things which have never been a part of the process and i understand why players and agents want to use that as as a form of leverage and it gives it gives them a little a small piece of information you think about all the other stuff so yeah i'm i'm sympathetic more sympathetic to the to their part of this conversation i thought it was interesting This isn't really a surprise. Mike Malone said that he didn't think there was anything untoward on that play with Lamarcus Aldridge and Gary Harris. We had talked about that there wasn't there wasn't a fine or a suspension or anything like that. So the league, broadly speaking, agreed with it. And then also two different conversations involving front office figures on the Los Angeles Clippers. We have praised their season and off season pretty significantly throughout this time. And there are two two of their front office people, not Lawrence Frank, but two of the other important people, are getting consideration for other jobs
0: yeah i was skeptical of the wolves process and if you want to read more about that john krasinski at, at the athletic had a good piece on it and he the reason i was skeptical is because it seems like ryan saunders and scott Layden it are it's already been decided that they're going to stay and so how good of a president of basketball operations are you really going to get when he can't choose his coach and he can't choose what the people who are going to be below him jeff Bower is too late to take the job <laughs> but michael winger it, to me is one of the best candidates uh, a cap guru came came up i think with that as as his main background but also someone who is just very businesslike is his reputation very much involved in the clippers just improving their processes oklahoma city doing the same thing i mean for oklahoma city's flaws i think they have a fair number of them in their regime the way that they just have cultivated an actual business-like culture and an organization and medical staff and just you know getting a lot of the processes right in an organization is something that Winger has a lot of experience with in both OKC and LA, and so I, I think he's a, a fine candidate. He's a, a real candidate. He's been a part of making hard decisions in LA as well. So I appreciate that. I don't know how much of that is him, how much of that is Jerry West or Lawrence Frank or anyone else in the organization, but he seems like a good candidate. And he, uh the thing that John Krasinski said is different is that the Wolves CEO on the business side, this guy Ethan. I think is how you pronounce his name wasn't involved in some of these previous searches that kind of resulted in these nepotism type of hires or these poor hires like David Kahn so that's a reason to believe I guess uh, according to John that things will be different this time and then in New Orleans new executive vice president basketball operations David Griffin is going to hire a general manager again more indications that with that type of a title this is a a guy who's gonna actually cost some money you know we've seen some of the with this title inflation where you have a president of basketball operations and then a general manager that's part of that is so that there's a precedent to kind of pay these guys more and so it looks like trent redden is going to be the likely choice there according to joe varden and the athletic who's the first to report that so that's uh another guy who's been part of this clippers front office it'd be too bad for them if they're uh, losing this manpower uh, from the front office they still uh, still got plenty of uh big brains over there too but uh, they'll have to reload probably to some degree and but another sign that New Orleans is moving in the right direction here. And then finally, OKC, we haven't seen any of Hamadou Diallo since the early going really of the season, but uh, the dunk champion is going to miss four weeks uh, after elbow surgery. So in all likelihood, he will not be involved in OKC's playoff run. All right. Well, I guess all, that's all the news we have. It's time to go. Uh, I don't think so. Oh, yes. It, it turns out uh, as I scroll up, a moment of great drama has finally arrived. Eh. This might be has opted in? To seventeen million player option on that contract for $72 million that he signed in the summer of 2016. And, uh, oh, I scroll down here. I see something else at the bottom of the alphabet on our list that, oh, Dwight Howard has opted into his $5.6 million player option. And I'm spent. Good night, everybody. Well, actually, before we leave, let me... No! <laughs> see? This
2: is why you have to ask me if we're done yet. Um, Real Jam Radio... I promoted
0: Real Gem Radio for you at the beginning of the show.
2: But I, I, I'm still a writer, and I still write, and so... So the I, I, I my off season <laughs> preview of the Memphis Grizzlies is up. It looks like the Miami Heat one will go up on Friday at some point. And my player reviews for Warriors Clippers game 3 those will be up on Friday morning maybe Thursday night depending on how quickly I write it and it gets edited so yeah all of that stuff will be out and you and I will be back with the NBA cast on Saturday our our plan is to do our primary game is going to be game 4 of Spurs Nuggets could be a definitive game of that series and then we will both be in studio let's call it for the at least the second half of sixers nets so if that game is close fully expect us to jump in
0: i might just edit that out and end it on the player option voice you don't relisten to this
1: you'll never know <laughs> all right for real good night everyone at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play